my name is Megan Price. I'm from Norman, Oklahoma. And earlier you mentioned that your father was a mentor and he was very supportive of you. And it's very obvious that you, you know, you love him and you respect him a great deal. But did you ever have problems when you were starting out proving yourself as an individual rather than just as Kirk Douglas' son? Oh, absolutely. Um, I was thinking earlier, I was making comparisons sort of to, to all, of, all of you who on one side have this wonderful honor uh, tonight and have achieved such an incredible amount at such an early age and now have the yoke of carrying that, that responsibility. Uh, yes, I, I felt that uh, very much. Uh, there were certain assumptions made about it being easier uh, if you were a second generation. The, the only thing that's easier about it being second generation is it's easier to, how to conduct your life. We live a very public, kind of high-profile way which has sort of unique demands on your life. And by watching my father, how he conducted his life uh, when I was a kid, it made it much easier for me to handle my successes as well as my failures. Uh, but certainly, uh, people tend to always want to take something away, and it, it was hard. It was hard to find a, uh, who you were, and I think that's probably one of the reasons why I consider myself a late bloomer. If you had the chance to go back and do, I guess, your whole adolescent life over again, what kind of an education would you get this time? How would you do your education? That's a good question. That's a very good question. Um, I don't know. I, uh, I found the opposite sex a major distraction. Uh, I, and I, I, I don't know. I, that's, that's the reason why they sent me to private boys' schools, I think. But I, I, don't, I don't really... Uh, no, I think they probably did right. I remember when I went to UC Santa Barbara after this, you know, fairly expensive education um, and flunked out after first year when I was competing with high school students uh, who had maintained a minimum of B averages but were living in normal social type life as opposed to the restrictions that we had. Uh, that was a, you know, a, a pretty big offsetting experience. Um, but I think I'd probably do it about the same, although I'd probably been more socially active, have social intercourse at an earlier date. Social intercourse. <laughs> Young lady over here, please. I think there are some people up front who have been waiting. There's people down there, I Thank guess. Thank you. Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't see the mic there. Go yes. ahead. That's okay. Hi, I'm Chris Knight. I'm from Superior, Wisconsin. I'm just wondering what you think you have done in your career that has made you succeed, and obviously you are very successful, in a career field where so many others have tried and failed. I think it's the, um, the ability to read the written word on a page and be able to picture in my mind how it would look as a movie. And I think that my college uh, education and drama and structure was very helpful in uh, me having a good sense of dramatic structure. So it's the combination of good structure and the ability to kind of close your eyes and imagine what you're reading and seeing if it will make uh, a good movie, or at least a movie that I'd like to see. Gentlemen in the back. Um, my name is Christopher Butler. I'm from Bay Village, Ohio. And as I think you might be aware of, Ken Kesey has never viewed the film. Uh, one floor over the cuckoo's nest, and I think his reasoning was because the viewpoint was changed 
from the viewpoint of the Indian to the warden. I was wondering who made that decision to change the viewpoint for the movie. No, the reason that he never saw the picture was that we uh, at one point hired Ken to write a draft of a screenplay of his novel, which is always a dangerous uh, situation. Uh, but we loved it that much, and we got into a, a litigation uh, problem with him uh, as a result of that, which was resolved when we were holding and retainer his percentage of profits of the film, and in all truthfulness, when we told him that uh, those profits were going to be donated uh, to the University of Oregon for the new Ken Kesey Chair in American Literature, uh, the problem was resolved, and uh, it all worked out uh, okay. Uh, that, that was the, the uh, main reason why he never saw the picture. As far as losing the, uh, the, the monologue of the Indian in the film, that was Milos Forman, who as a Czech, who had no uh, sense of the history of this great uh, literary project, thought it was a wonderful story and felt that it stood on its own without having this literary device of this Indian monologue. So that was a, a decision we made. Far corner, please. Yeah, my name is Matthew Butterick. I'm from Manchester, New Hampshire. And I'd just like to know, um, what was the original ending to Fatal Attraction? And as an actor and producer, does it worry you that maybe um, directors are concerned, getting concerned less with the artistic aspect of filmmaking and more with the commercial aspect? Well, the, the other ending, maybe we'll talk tomorrow in the, in the, uh, in the seminars or something, because it's a little longer uh, to explain. As far as the artistic versus commercial, uh, I'm in the entertainment business, the industry. I, I don't, unless the pictures succeed, uh, the successful, I cannot make other pictures. What I don't understand sometimes is why people connote uh, a successful commercial picture with a lack of artistry. Uh, why can't a picture be good uh, and artistic? I mean, we, we don't necessarily have to just keep everything isolated an artistic movie because it's a foreign movie shown in one, in one theater. Um, Fatal Attraction, in a lot of areas, you can, we can argue about the subject matter, but was, was, was very well effectively created. So this is an argument which I'm, I was recently in Europe where they have the auteur situation where the director is really on the top of the pyramid and he has the legal controls of the final cut of the picture, of every word that's said. Um, I, as opposed really gets to all the honorees is why I really salute them, I really work in a collaborative form. I work with people who are talented in multi-areas. I have writers, you know, uh, cinematographers, uh, directors, actors, and so we think in much more of, of, of a collaborative uh, form. But I don't think that a, necessarily that if a picture's commercially success that it takes any way, anything away from its artistry. Young lady over here. In your movie from uh, the movie Wall Street that they showed the clip from tonight, you gave a very interesting monologue on greed. And I was wondering if you could tell us, first of all, what your experience has been in Hollywood with greed, because that's, I think that's something that we perceive Hollywood as being, and what your personal concept of greed is, and what you would tell us about greed as the future leaders, we hope, of America. Sounds like a theme for another, another lecture speech. Um, greed, uh, greed in Hollywood. We're compensated uh, quite well, but so are investment bankers. 
uh, as we've had this discussion uh, before, and, and so are people that patent things, uh, so are athletes. Uh, we're compensated in proportion to the demand for our services after the Academy Award or after the last two or three successful pictures I've done as an actor. Uh, a studio can go out and sell that picture in foreign territories uh, with my name connected and they can get larger advances. So I guess it's the cart before the horse. If they therefore uh, can achieve as a studio distribution system larger amounts of money just based upon my name associated with the film, shouldn't I have a portion of that? And this is where your so-called star salaries uh, evolve. Uh, they've also been created because of the uh, lack of clear uh, profit definitions and the lack of clear accounting uh, from studios, uh, which get much more creative. So they find a need of trying to get their money up front rather than having to struggle uh, with the back end. Uh, as far as greed, I think it's, I think it's a, major par a major problem. I, I could not... Uh, agree with you with you more. Um, I really do think that we have a, a sense and hope this is changing of the me generation. Hopefully I see elements uh, that are falling apart pertaining to that, but uh, we do tend to uh, look to protect ourselves first. I would argue that politically and everything else we are being directed to do that. Uh, governments are saying to look to yourself, look to your community, look to your state. So we therefore are having to look to protect ourselves maybe more than we did in, in the past. And I think there have, there have been abuses, uh, but certainly an affair, an evening like this uh, is not from greed, but from a lot of uh, sponsors and a lot of individuals feeling uh, it's crucial, uh, particularly for you and for other National Merit Scholars for the future. So, last question here, please. My name is Tina Clark. I'm from Denver, Colorado. You were talking about the from written Denver? word. Yes, sir. You were talking about the written word and how it affects you. There are so many important subjects today that threaten our world, and I hope to be a writer, but what I was wondering is if you've ever done any writing or thought about doing any writing. I'm a terrible writer. <laughs> I'm, I'm a pretty good editor, uh, which is a you know, really different, t different talent. Uh, 